Hi. What's up? Yo. Welcome to episode 13? 14. 14. No, 13, I'm kidding. 13. <laughs> I'm lucky number 13. <laughs> lucky hey. number 13, uh, episode of the Ape Audio Podcast. We're sitting down with Nathan Bula. Hey, how's it going? That's me. Hey, Nathan is the drummer for uh, local band Auras and Ontario local band Intervals as well. Um, I'm also sitting down with my good pals, Patrick. Yes. Ian. Hey. Devin. Alan's over here with the camera, so we might get some real hot snaps. Get this hot chick. And uh, Evan's also lurking in the corner. As promised. All right. Let's get this cracking. Yeah, you guys all have a good week? That's pretty yeah. good. Cool. The week's just started, dude. No, it's the cumulative <laughs> week. How many no, times do we have no, to go through this? We're not doing this again. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> what, you guys don't want to talk about it? No. What I want to talk about is um, who Amy is and why she's being chased. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I haven't had that question. Right in into the hot seat. Eight, maybe ten years. <laughs> I can't remember... Did that specific question with that wording come up before? Me? Oh yeah. To uh, oh yeah, multiple times Damn to it. to all of us. Um, yeah, my 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 high school band chasing Amy. Actually, there's a fun. So do you guys know about the movie Chasing Amy? Yep. Yeah. Um. So I don't, and I don't remember exactly how this went, but my I believe my guitar player said he emailed uh, the Kevin Smith his company or something like that, and he basically asked if you know. Uh, if we can use the name because we'd been using it, I guess they'd been using it before I even got in the band, and they said no. Um, <laughs> Kevin Smith. So, so we're like, that. so what? Yeah. What we kind of? I, I think he maybe just looked into what we can legally do. Maybe he asked them straight up, and they just said, "You just can't use that spelling." So we just changed uh, Amy to Ame. Um, and I don't think I've ever met a girl named Amy like spelled that way. It's usually A I M E E. Um, or AMY. So we thought that was, you know, at least a unique thing to the do. The funny thing is about that spelling, I was like thinking about this in my head all day and I'm like, what if they're not called Chasing Amy? What if it's like, Amy? What the hell am I going <laughs> to do when we ask this question and we're just totally wrong? Screw this whole thing up. <laughs> or, an, or an acronym. People thought it was an acronym for something, but, and we tried to make something clever up to make that happen but such as made any sense. i can't remember i honestly oh yeah uh, yeah exactly yeah um something you know along those lines a little less cheesy maybe but we'll see <laughs> i mean that's obviously it's defunct um speaking of cheesy yeah we found this super Boy, cut we ever and we don't know if one of you guys made this or if you had one just diehard fan do you want to check this out you don't have a choice i wonder what this is Oh my god. I don't know if I recall this. I, I recall the pictures. I don't know. I mean, this is crazy. Here, Devin, you want to pause it? We'll give him a bit of a refrain. He could try to explain himself. I mean, okay, well, here here's the worst part. I think, is that it it could be something I've seen before and knew where it came from. Like I, this we were so ridiculous. But yeah, that uh, this could be something that one of the guys did, 
and they showed us all one day, and I just don't remember. <laughs> but I don't, I don't, I don't know though. It doesn't look like that. <laughs> it looks like something I would rem- remember, especially the music. Like I feel like I would. There it is. Would have had that. Ooh, the leopard print. That memory of some sort. But yeah, those are all. You know, those are all pictures I remember. That's from our first show ever. How old were you guys? Uh, 16, 17. Uh, jeez. We were like, we were really trying to scrape the internet to find some stuff. I mean, that's that's quite the stuff. This is like one of the relics. That is. I don't know if you could beat that. There it is. And yeah, the sweetness. Does it make you feel weird looking back at these kinds of things? No, not really. I mean, sometimes I get reminded people will. What the much music? Yeah. Yeah. How'd that uh, happen? That was, uh, we got on the show Disband, um, the first season that it was out, which was like the, they did half hour episodes, I think. I can't even remember, actually. Yeah. Vote for yeah. them on Supernova, um, sorry, but. <laughs> yeah. Jeez, oh, yeah, that was, so that, that was actually at the photo shoot. Uh, so we did this photo shoot, the leopard print, uh, in the, uh, in the bathtub with the, the models and all that stuff. Who came up with well, that was actually the photographer. This guy Matt Barnes. He's a brilliant photographer. He's he's uh, he's done work with Snoop Dogg and like everyone that you've that you've ever like thought of sure. in, in celebrity world. Like he's, and the best he could come up with was get in the bathtub, <laughs> well, boy. Yeah, he had this. Well, we got there. It was for the show, and, and he had this whole lab. They were like, we're gonna do a professional photo shoot with a professional photographer. And we get there, and they had this whole elaborate thing already set up, and they got, brought these girls in, and we met them, and then they were like, "Here's your." Where were the uh, girls? Uh, I don't. They were just models that they that they brought them. I can't remember. They must have been like they must have worked with him before. But I remember distinctly. There's one guy with a thong on leopard print thong, and I remember we all had to like pick out of the hat to get our garment. Basically, there he is. Yeah, Ryan. That's a fair way and, to do it. Yeah, and, and he he drew that, and so he had to wear it. And he uh, doesn't look very happy. I mean, there was mixed emotions all day. We were we were drink we were drinking spiced rum or or something like that at this point too, because it was freezing too. We we're like wearing nothing basically, yeah. right? Um, yeah, this would have been two thousand and oh, shit. I can't remember eight two thousand eight maybe two thousand nine probably. Would you ever consider uh, going over some of this stuff and maybe? Uh, oh, I'm sure they know. They know about it. Like well, this is what got them. This is what I. I mean, Aaron, I've known Aaron him. most of my life, so I mean, he he probably watched this all happen like at least at least briefly, you know, right, like right. while it was going on. And I know I remember when I first joined the Aura's crew, um, they had done a little bit of you know back research. Sure, sure. <laughs> they just you know checked up on what I used to do and all that. And uh, do you the, think? Obviously this do you stuff think when up, they initially so. talked with you, they were like, "Don't, don't bring up that video." <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the funny part was that at least in the local scene area, there's a lot of people that were really confused because they're like, you know, the Oars guys are playing technical metal, and this guy played bubblegum pop punk like with these goofy like you know teenage dudes, and it didn't make any sense. And I think they were like, I think they. It seemed to me that they were that they welcomed that that like that you know, massive change. Sure. And it just sort of sparked a little bit of, not controversy, but it was at least a little bit of a talking point, I think, so. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, especially when you guys were, like, that young, right? Like, I mean, you, you've you only kind of showcased your chops through, like, one band at that point. Yeah, yeah. well, I was all about, you know, committing to to a project and and just being as focused on, as, no matter how simple the parts, being really focused on playing those parts 
as best as I possibly could. And I think that like that band was such a huge thing for me because it just taught me the importance of simplicity and when it came to adding tons of notes, tons of notes, excuse me, with the Oars guys, um, it was just a matter of adding things. It wasn't a matter of figuring out how to play the drums. Sure, sure. The way I wanted to play the drums. Right, you know? right. So, yeah, it was, and that, it was only, I mean, if that picture was in 2009, my first Oars show was, I think, 2011 or something. So, it was a pretty quick change within 2010 or so I met them. So, yeah, um, yeah, it was, uh, there's definitely been a lot of different stuff going on in my life. <laughs> in so I, I, I take it you didn't get the disband uh, label deal? Well, we got the thumbs up. Like, it was just oh, a nice. thumbs up, thumbs down oh, okay, situation. Okay. Like, we were trying we, to remember how it worked, but there's, like, no episodes yeah. or anything yeah, we could I find. Don't, I don't even know. I abandoned all ships. Yeah. Yeah, well, the se- that was the second season. Oh. And that was formatted was a little geez. bit differently. Well, it was formatted differently the second year, so I'm not even sure how the show exactly worked. I know other friends of ours were on it. Um, but that first year, yeah, it was just like one episode. And then I think the only band that got signed that year was, um, Stereos. Cool. And I think we all know how that went. (laughs) Um, but great guys. I actually, I met, I ran into the drummer not too long ago who works for one of my old mentors, uh, in Toronto at Grace, uh, Grace and Matthews does all kinds of post-production stuff for huge companies all around the world. So yeah, they're, you know, I think they're all doing pretty well. So how did uh, you joining Auras like initially come about? Uh, well, um, I guess it was pretty simple. Um, like I said, I've known Aaron for uh, 22, 23 years, just through family. Um, I'll go through, I'll briefly tell you how I know him, which is just kind of a weird thing. Um, my not aunt and uncle, they're like fake aunt and uncle because it's my dad's business partner, married my mom's best friend from high school. And... So my dad's business partner is actually brothers with my dad's sister's husband. So my dad's Fake sister married Eric, and then Eric's brother is my dad's business partner. Okay, interesting. And then my mom's best friend is the mom. So, or is uh sorry, is 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 his wife. Um, and their backyard is adjacent to Aaron's parents' backyard. Oh, okay. Growing up, it was there's uh, but there's for some weird reason there's a gate between the two backyards, and no other backyards that they're adjacent to are. Or linked have gates and they had a pool and we were young and we'd go over there you know and hang Hell out yeah and go for swims and stuff like that so yeah i know him through basically a f- close family friend of you know my whole life basically um and then he joined probably the oars guys a, a few months before and was like hey you know we're we're working on this this project and they've got some guys but they weren't sure if they had you know a similar vision with what they wanted to do musically like with progressive stuff and just polyrhythmic weird ideas and just basically to push the limits and he um he was kind of he just briefed a couple bands like uh periphery born of osiris volumes veil of maya maybe i had only heard of periphery at the time so i was like i like that band that was the band that sort of got me to think that i could potentially play metal right before that it was like why would i attempt it because i'm not a double kick player yeah like a, a straight fast double i don't blast beats nothing like that that all that stuff to me is just it's it's not the way I've sort of trained my body to behave on the drum kit. Do you think it's because Matt has like this almost poppy sound to the way he plays? Yeah. Well, I think that he comes from a similar background as I do, where he didn't play metal for really a long time. He played a lot of single foot stuff. Um, he and I've talked about it a couple of times. He's, you know, he played, I think he played in a, like a funk or hip hop type band for a little bit. And he's played with just a handful of different, I think a punk band, maybe he's just done a bunch of different stuff. Um, 
probably played in a reggae band, probably played in a folk or pop band. Um, he's just really well-rounded. And when you when it comes to playing metal um, in that side of things, you can hear what comes out of him. You can hear that that's not a product of just playing metal music. Definitely. Or even focusing on metal primarily. You can tell it really doesn't come from that. The classic, you know, world of metal that we Yeah, for sure. And I, I feel like it's sometimes an overlooked aspect of a lot of, like, prog metal bands is the drummer right like there's there's so many groups where a lot of the dudes rocking the percussive arts kind of have a really samey similar sound to them i think it's really important to kind of encompass several other little genres Mm -hmm. into like your repertoire because it can really like liven up a mix a lot yeah and it can just sort of change the way that you decide to orchestrate parts or or what you deem possible or not possible. Sure. You know, there's some things that the guys have thrown at me, and I'm like, I don't think I can. I don't think I can physically do that. Right. Right. Um, but sometimes you slow it down, and if you slow it down enough, especially in the world of like this groovy kind of prog metal stuff, it starts sounding like a funk song, or it starts sounding like a really kind of slow, just groovy jam. And if you really just get that idea in your head, and you get used to that really slow version of that groove it sort of means something else to you. It Definitely. sort of means a little bit, it, there's a little bit more sort of um, center focus, you know, on the on the downbeats and on the quarter notes and things like that. And you start feeling that a little bit more naturally. So when you speed it up again, you just sort of, I think, have a little bit more of a handle on right. that. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Thing. Totally. And then also when you get to live, your adrenaline's pushing everything and you want to play things faster, so everything feels slower. And even though it feels slower, you still have control over it because you've, you know, explored what it feels like and sounds like when it's, you know, at a completely different tempo. Sure. It's completely different. Right on. Uh, Patrick, do you want to ask the man about his little uh, throne? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there's an interesting video of you playing drums on a, a toilet. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> what uh, inspired you to make that video? <laughs> uh, well, my parents went away for like a couple weeks or something, and... I remember... I've always wanted to play in what? the washer. You know what? No, it was a picture. <laughs> there was a picture on uh, that someone sent me. It was like a meme, basically. And this is... What year is this? 2010 or something? It was like one of those old, original, like, internet memes. And it was just... But it was a drummer thing. It was just this drummer sitting on a toilet, but a drum kit was in front of him. And so he set up his kit with the... Uh, obviously, the toilet as the stool or as the throne. How long did you keep that set up? I just put that up and made this. Basically, I, I came across. I just tried to pick a song that didn't need anything more than hats, snare, and crack, or and kick, because I obviously couldn't fit anything else in there. <laughs> and I just figured, why not do it in the smallest bathroom that I have access to? You know, actually, not really the smallest one, but that is a pretty tight. Bathroom. Yeah, it was. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I just kind of. I was in this mood to do some covers that were just out of my comfort zone and not what I could excel at and necessarily and just you know have to kind of focus on on the bare bones like not having any crashes like just starting <laughs> you know yeah. that that's not an easy so thing crazy. at least for me to to accomplish I spent a lot of time since then playing with bands um trying to do things like this and focus a little bit more on time and in yeah. space and all that stuff but yeah it's this was just a challenge for me there's like a i think there's a towel taped up to it you can see at the oh, bottom yeah, yeah that's like a little 12 inch snare well, it's really cool how this process just kind of lets you 
like think outside of the box but or lets you think more inside of the box but in a good way because it's not you're less focusing on like oh there's all these things like i can potentially hit it's more just yeah. like how tightly can i play yeah and it's about like this, yeah. this whole thing <laughs> but it pulls your whole life i'm kidding up this whole nice kit i used to how, how are you gonna wrap your head around that Yeah, um, and that that goes hand in hand with my just comment about my old band being such much more simplistic stuff, and like you can focus on really what's important, and then when it comes to adding pieces to it, when you add a new crash or a China symbol or or you do new parts or whatever, then then you then you are just adding it in a place that like you can sort of see that it belongs beforehand. Because you're playing a more stripped down version of it sure. as you add things in, it doesn't become a brand new thing. It becomes just an augmentation of what you were already right, with, right. You know? Interesting. That's at least how I often approach stuff and try to try to teach. That's sort of the method that I teach because I think it's never failed me. So you know, I don't know. I just go with that. Would you ever mess around like that again, like nowadays, like just for fun? Yeah, I, I've thought about. It. I actually just uh, finished setting up kind of a little video area in my my room like my drum room so i can start doing this stuff i don't know if i'm gonna do cover songs necessarily i don't think i'm gonna do that i think i'm gonna focus a little bit more on just drums sure in general but i don't i'm not 100 percent sure how i'm gonna do that yet so yeah mm. we'll see um but yeah it really for the longest time it was just because i didn't have a facility or didn't have a space to do this stuff and that's why i took that the advantage of that because they went away my parents went away for a week or a couple weeks and I just brought my drums over to their house and and like brought my recording equipment and did I, I think the other reason behind that bathroom one too is because I can only use two mics three mics something yeah like I was that. just gonna ask you about that I think it was two mics actually I'm not I'm not positive but well your um, parents must be very proud of you most kids would show up and trash the house and steal all the food and steal all the booze and <laughs> well you show up with it's not to say you didn't kick do drum that. and sit up on the on the fucking <laughs> toilet and play some drums the funny <laughs> but I can't remember if it, if it was this weekend or this week in particular that they were away maybe it was another time it must have been after I don't know it was around the same time it could have been the same week but my I think my most the the playthrough that I get ta- uh, told about most like people are like oh I've saw your one uh, drum playthrough of our of the Aura song Chimerical. Um that was in their living room. The same thing. It was like the same I don't know if it was the same weekend because I didn't bring microphones for that situation. It was just like a miming video which uh ended up being a little more difficult than I thought it was. But yeah, I I took advantage when they went away. I brought my drums over. Um I brought camera over and I I filmed that video in their nice living room and I remember like months later my mom was like <laughs> uh, when did that happen? <laughs> uh, well, man. you know, I was like, you know, I was like 21 or something like that. So they're like, again, how are they, they going to be mad? How are they going to be yeah, mad? That's, they're like, well, we couldn't tell. So I mean, I guess that I don't know. Maybe they were a little bit, you know, a little, little, little. Uh, they weren't mad. They just, were just disappointed. Yeah, no, just sort of worried that maybe I broke something and they didn't notice it. Or, but they're they're Hawkeyes, so they, they're, I'm sure they're fine. She's just like looking in the china cabinet in the back, just yeah. like it's it's more my dad. There? My dad would walk in and be like, "That coaster moved on that table oh, over there. Geez. Where's my Hummels?" 
Yeah. Is, he on, is he on that thermostat? Oh, I mean, I'm sure, but I think they got it regulated to the point. He's on the vacuum like you wouldn't believe. Oh, and I'm starting to inherit that, too. The vacuum? Bit. Yeah. It's all it's a strange vacuum. Thing. Do you get any of those traits, like, on tour or anything <laughs> like that? Do you realize you're like, oh, I'm kind of... Kind of vacuuming yeah. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that that's sort of a thing, actually. Like, we got a we got a better vacuum on um, that we get to bring like every time we get the the sort of the bus vehicle. Yeah. And uh, this, it's like a great vacuum, so it's a joy to use. You know? so it's, oh my! It's one of those things where it's like, it's happening. If, it, you know, and and I'm, often I'm in there when no one's there. Because it's pre-show, um, because oh, everyone's in the green room, and I I just go back to warm up by myself or something, and and then I just vacuum to my heart's content, and no one has, no one can say anything about it, and everyone's happy because everyone gets back in and it's the environment. And Holy shit, dude, that's no hilarious. Complaints. But yeah, I definitely get that for sure. So uh, what dad. vacuums do you recommend? <laughs> I really want a Dyson, but I don't yeah. think I can ever pinch that coin out there. Oh, yeah, those are expensive. Yeah, I'm not. I'm, oh. That Dyson sponsor. <laughs> Actually, yeah, for the studio, that would be great. I'll stick it, it right in the back rug. corner with Get like a light. Yeah, there you know. Go. And that's the one thing I think that I, I, that's the reason I think I started becoming more enthused with the vacuuming, just because it, it's a mess. Like yeah. my drum carpet <laughs> yeah. is just a mess. Every, like I could vacuum it completely. See a single chip then, in sight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a, it's a mess no matter what. Like, so I'm always oh on it to try God. to make it tolerable, you know, so. And it doesn't help that it's a black, um, black carpet. Yeah, that that's but. a totally valid point. Up until this point, I would have said you're out of your mind. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I totally am out of my mind. It's just a matter of it's a it's it's the uh, it's the amount. Shout out, shout out to Dad for uh, passing uh, down the vacuuming yeah. hobby. Yeah. Dyson <laughs> and, and the music. You know, he gave me the music, so that's I think that that's made fair. Yeah. Well, what kind of what kind of role did your your dad or both parents play and well my dad's a, a a piano player like or he played organ and and piano and he went went to choir school actually as a kid k to 13 cool choir school. what is choir all school? boys choir school do those even exist anymore yeah no. man it's um, Kids come together and sing yeah it's come like on, christian yeah, it's a, is that like outside of regular school no it's it is regular school but you do instead of, do like, they sing do all the stuff, lessons no it's high school musical dude um <laughs> they uh i think they just spend you you definitely get organ lessons and you definitely get or piano at least you definitely get uh you know vocal lessons they spend more time on the music side oh, of things awesome. um St. Michael's Choir School in Toronto um and he actually goes to the alumni events and stuff all the time like go to the cool. Christmas choir concerts and all that stuff um so he is a fantastic like keyboard player like he's 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 hilariously good but he never plays that much um really but he's getting he's he's getting well he's I don't have to anymore because he's he's got his own band that's oh, a little cool. bit more regular than his other band that I kind of grew up with. And his other band, they still play once a year at Bullafest every year, our family party. Um, yeah, it's a Tell huge thing. It. It's going to be the 16th year this year. It's his 60th, uh, his 60th birthday as well, a couple of days before that. So, And that's the day before I leave for our second Europe leg. So I get to be there this year for Bullafest, which is great. Big party every year. Uh, but my cover band plays we got friends and family that play we got a whole stage and like a big tent and we got like 200 people that come and it's a big potluck cool. thing with my um my dad's band plays and they close up the night and it's just they're just legendary he's got horn players and what? yeah That's it's awesome, awesome. Like, it's quite the uh quite the event are we invited this year yeah yeah <laughs> totally yeah. yeah absolutely beautiful in Hell fact yeah. i it's sort of falling on me to start adding more people to the to the list because it's becoming you know it's just like people have lives and you can't come every year we've had a lot of people that have come 10 12 years even but it's like you know 
once in a while some of that stuff dies out and my sister's friends from university they've all got kids and all that stuff so they're not really coming around anymore and this year i brought more people than ever and they were like happy about it so i'm I'm making a point to invite more people. Well, to that sounds wicked awesome. If your parents yeah. want to see some other vacuuming enthusiasts, <laughs> well, and the, we and go and pretty the crazy. Is, sweet yeah. music. <laughs> it's uh, it's just a big fundraiser that the whole street shows up. All our family and friends show up, and it, and they raise money for um, St. John's Kitchen and uh, Champs Warhams, I think. Uh, and yeah, it's like, and my dad gets like a keg or two, and like you bring your own booze. You just like, and you can bring a tent and hang out, and there's just yeah, music all day. So, yeah, that sounds awesome. That for yeah, that sounds crazy. Now, so, so uh, I assume at some point the torch will fully be in your hands. I've always thought about that and almost worried about it, but I feel like when the time comes, but my dad's not slowing that stuff down. Right, right. He's a he's a champ. Like he's uh he's so invested in it. Like he's he's so uh, focused on it every year. Like he literally plans the date and sends out an email within two to three weeks after Bullfest happens. Oh, so July twentieth or twenty, what I can't remember what it was this year. He an email came. I saw an email like three weeks later. He was like, "All right, July twentieth next year." Wow, Fest. That's every time, awesome, yeah, man. because he needs to get the band together because everyone's got live. Everyone's like teachers, and it, I mean, people are retiring more and more in his group of friends, which is helpful, I think, in that capacity. But yeah, yeah like it's definitely. Um, but I'm not. I'm not. Around, I'm in. I'm around indefinitely. Like I'm not always around, and it's. Uh, it's just. I want to help more, and I try to, but it's already his thing anyway. Right, they right. Want to show up. He's got friends that do certain things now, and got a buddy that provides the tent, and guy that brings the lights. And Did you get a horse to play there? Uh, we have. Really? Yep. We played there one year. We played a couple tesseract covers. Uh, Which ones? Uh, April. Uh, a couple concealing fate. It was back when they only had that oh, first when they record. Only had one out or whatever. Yeah, it was like yeah. 2012 or 13. Thirteen. I I can never remember years. Yeah. Um. And Aaron played guitar and Josh played bass and I made backing tracks, for like some other guitar layers and stuff. And cool. th- just the three of us played instrumentally, and it was actually awesome. Yeah, we played three or four songs. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, it was a while ago though. Sounds really awesome. Uh, I yeah, I was I was gonna ask like if you guys played some of Aura's crushing material <laughs> for like this yeah, this little street and that's this block like, party. I, obviously, I have family that's you know not super into metal or yeah. aggressive music in general, and it's like oh, what's that? You know that screaming stuff or whatever. Scream- that screamo. You, you know you get it, and it's just one of those things that like ho- hopefully they understand that I'm not trying to force it upon them. Like right, I definitely right. have no no like agenda or anything like that and that's one of the reasons why it's nice that i have the interval side of things just so that my family can appreciate the basically the aura side of things for me from my perspective for what i do on the drums or at least like the type of thing that i do on the drums they get to enjoy it a little bit more in an open sense where they can concentrate more on what i'm doing right and see a little bit more that's an interesting aspect i guess if like each role is like maybe broken down it might be more digestible to people who haven't really come across music like that before you know totally i mean it's already overwhelming if you're not used used to complex rhythms and things yeah. like that oh, for so sure. there's no there's no faulting anyone for that kind of thing no not people at all, just not like at what they like there's no that's yeah. the best part about music sure yep so um from a from a young age clearly you were kind of pushed towards music what was there like a first instrument you picked up I was never that's the thing I was never pushed towards and in fact I pushed my parents like I was okay. always always asking for a drum set basically I think I, I was about three years old and um 
I don't remember, obviously I don't remember if it was before or after, but it was sometime around, there's two things that happened. Um, the first thing was uh, my dad's band would come and they were, they actually played at Center in the Square one time. Like his, cool. his band, when they used to play with this other guy, um, he was the singer and acoustic guitar player. Anyway, so they were rehearsing for something and the drummer brought his drums and I came down and just stared and watched him set his drums up, watched him play the whole time. He's just Andy, Andy McPherson is his name. He's actually a teacher. I think he's still a teacher at St. Mary's. He's been there for years and years and years. Um, lives in Kitchener. Just incredible hands, like the softest hands, but they're playing rock music. But he's like a jazz drummer. I think he's a Humber guy. Um, so he was my first like jaw drop, but I was three. And like, you know, I, I never really needed any convincing that that was an interesting thing to me. And then within a few months, I think yeah, it was Christmas um, or my birthday, my grandparents went out and got me a tiny little plastic drum kit, and yeah, I was three or four, and I did. I ran laps around the house like I, I was like <laughs> ecstatic, and it broke within a week because I played it nonstop, <laughs> right? And then I was begging for a drum kit nonstop until I was about twelve years old when I got a kit. My sister and I got a kit for Christmas for my parents. Um, yeah, and that was it. Cool. Three months into that, I was like, well, I know what I'm doing. So you you picked it up really quickly then? Yeah, jeez. Well, I, I didn't necess- I was I didn't get good super fast necessarily. Like I played it all the time, and that contributed to me. There was uh, just like this uh, getting a handle like, on love it quicker. For it. Yeah, like I I had an I definitely had an inclination. Um, obviously, coordination is not in the best position, but I, I skipped one thing because when I was I think around six or so, my parents were like, okay, we'll give you a lesson or two, a few lessons. So I went to Andy's house, my dad's drummer. And he taught me a couple things. One thing being the paradiddle, probably the only thing I remembered. Um, and then, so I had that for six years. And then I kind of, I had like a little electronic kit when I was, or like a little pad thing, Yamaha pad thing when I was maybe 10 or 11, played in the school talent show. And then, you know, they were like, okay, I think he's actually going to maybe stick to it. There was no question in my mind I was going to stick to it. I was already, but then, yeah, but three months in to having a drum kit, I was like, I remember like I played for a couple hours one day and then I just, I just stopped and like, like, yeah, this is it. Like, this is, I don't have a need to interest myself in anything else. Like, cause all my friends were getting into, like I was getting into, I was playing hockey all the time and I loved it. I still love hockey, but I can't, I don't play it that much. You know, the skiing and, and snowboarding and just all kinds of things. My friends were all finding their interest in that world. But I, I noticed there was part of drums that made sense more to me. And there was an inkling in me that understood that I could make something of it in a career sense. And I also knew it was difficult from the get-go. Everyone loved telling me that it was going to be impossible. Like, oh, it was like people's favorite (laughs) thing. Like, what do you want to do when you grow up? Play drums. Like, well, it's going to be really hard. Like, listen, bitch, I know. (laughs) You know, like I was prepared. I was ready for it. Did that ever diminish you at all when somebody would mention to you that it's going to be an impossible feat or were you just like no nah, I'm gonna do it like I'm gonna do whatever it takes kind no, of thing? because I because other people people did it right like and that's yeah. the thing I think that like any of that negative talk it's weird to me that people spend a lot of time worrying about what you can't do because like if it's been done then that like now what are you gonna say like it's been done yeah uh of course I'm gonna bring it to hockey just for one sec because Wayne Gretzky highest score in the world no one's going to pass him goals, ever. Alex Ovechkin, right now, is only a couple seasons away from maybe beating him. But it's like everyone, I'm sure, told him, like, at least you're not going to be the great one. Like, you're not going to be the great one. He's yeah. the great eight, and he's so close to matching. I th- it's, it's plausible, at least, at this point. 
And that's just one of those things where it's like, you know, people can't tell you what you can't do. Yeah. Do you think that kind of talk comes from people who have sort of like quit out on their dream, you know? I mean, yeah. I think that is just a common thing because a lot of people sort of they succumb to the negative aspects of it. And I don't know, there's there's balance, there's sacrifice, there's all kinds of different things you gotta take into account. And maybe those things don't work for that person ultimately. Sure. And you know, I think a lot of those people just get the impression that their experience was the general experience but everyone's experience is different so i don't know and it's easy to catch yourself like just listening to what someone says and taking their opinion as your personal truth at this point but it's it's like you know if you believe in something or if you believe that you can do something or if you want to do something then i don't really understand listening to people that yeah at least to me it's like whenever i hear somebody and they're like yeah don't follow your dream like don't even take a crack at it i'm like are you out of your mind (laughs) i mean how would you how could you how are you gonna say that the thing is i don't think it comes from like them trying to be too negative but it's more or less like they well it is is a negative thing to like absorb because it well i mean you can take it in stride or let it you know like pick you back up but at Mm -hmm. the same time um i feel like a lot of people who do that and maybe went to go chase their dreams like had something happen like I really like they were bad at the drums. No, <laughs> yeah, or like they went into debt and like, or like yeah, they or like their girlfriend or yeah, something or, like that. Yeah. And it's like and it's like those things is like, yeah, those things kind of like ter- like curbed their lifestyle. So they're almost like it's it's almost like they 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 reflect on like what they had and they're like, eh, it wasn't as great because they didn't get to that like goal point. So mm-hmm. they yeah. kind of like it's not that great. Like don't because like I did that. You know, they'll they'll be like, well, I. I feel like that's kind of sad though like do you do you not feel like they pivoted like that same kind of excited energy like say they're pursuing music and they think that's what they're gonna do they have a kid do you not feel like that kid now should be like their their number one priority and like this is like their superstar whatever no definitely I feel like the type of person who's coming and telling you not to follow your dream whatever curbed like their dream maybe they don't look at it like it's like yeah. this big th- i don't know maybe because they had a passion seems for it once and then now they don't anymore is that dream to them seems lackluster right maybe i don't know well it's yeah. it i, I think many maybe it's because they're so far away from like what that was at one point in time they i don't, don't know i feel like, like we, we could dealer. philosophize about this yeah. all day. yeah yeah well i i don't know i think it's interesting because like it's what's the worst that can happen you experience happiness for a bit you have some <laughs> nice memories you yeah. meet some yeah. people you have you make friendships you know I don't. I just don't understand the downside to trying something that you're pretty sure is gonna make you happy right now. Sure. Like, yeah. I I get you know making sure that you're you're uh, you know being aware of the future and 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 just staying on top of your own life in that sense. And I, I get that you can cause issues if you're just living in the now. You're not thinking about anything in the, f- yeah. in, the in the future. But yeah, like if you're if you're sure it's gonna at least give you an inkling of happiness, I don't really know if you can even put a dollar up value on that. Yeah, like, for sure. You know, if sure. it costs you money because you know, you're you're pouring stuff into it, but it's interesting to you. Like think about the people that buy cars just cuz they like the car. Like yeah. think about yeah. how much money that is it, and yeah. it's just for something that they like. Yeah, it's not no one's being like it's ridiculous. you know, you should probably stop buying cars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. There's no th- that's the weird thing too though. There there's some things in society where people look at it and they're like, "Yeah, throw caution to the wind and just do your thing." But then they look at like Oh, you're in a band? Like I think it's because it's a career based. You should get thing. rational, you know? Yeah. Because they see the car thing and they're like, oh, that guy must have a lot of money it's from like a, a job to thing spend on this thing. They, they can but see. then they see like a music career and they're like, 
oh, this is like their only source of income. And then they think about all the future things that come with that. And then the whole like lifestyle of like being in a maybe a full time touring band or however you pursue to have a full time music career. And yeah, I don't know. Interesting. I don't yes. know how we got all the way here. Yeah, well, I mean, it's <laughs> it, it's just, yeah, I guess it's just curbing that negativity and trying to make, uh, just trying to at least like express whatever you want to express and not feel like the opinions of other people's experiences should like should make you feel like your experience will be any different or right. or the same yeah. or just because everyone's just a different human being experiencing or wanting different things anyway so i don't know that and that's one of the reasons why i think i listened to myself like or listen to myself I, I trusted that sort of that desire to 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 keep to pursue the drums in a very like um in a very like uh just dedicated form like like I knew that it was there was going to be a lot of shit that I didn't want to have to practice and play and like just rudiments and just all kinds of stuff but I knew that that was necessary right so, so that you was, kind of saw like a, a path that you had to take to, yeah, and, to make this thing happen and therefore those things started becoming enjoyable to me in fact sure. you can kind of find the joy in in almost anything um and I find like when I do now when I when I work on rudiments and stuff like that and any of that sort of quote-unquote boring stuff where it's just repetition but you're not really challenging yourself you're just doing it for the sake of the motions that stuff is really helpful and for me um it's boring so I just use it to either think about things or meditate kind of thing or like just just kind of put myself in a different mindset where I where I'm not you know like really going balls to the wall and trying to invent myself completely reinvent myself completely now or right right I mean, new... I, it's like similar to going to like the gym or like you're studying for a test or whatever right like yeah y you kind of have to find these little tricks to enjoying it like the act itself might not be that great but if you can put your mind in like a different different headspace while you're doing it mm -hmm. then suddenly it's totally fine and something that you could do every day you know yeah cool um so we we did chasing Amy. We did your growing up. <laughs> like you started um, there. <laughs> <laughs> well, where else would we? Start? That's a good place to start. Yeah, well, I, think I so. mean, yeah, chronologically, <laughs> right of course. Do you have something earlier that you'd like to talk about? Yeah, is there? Well, is there well any, my first uh, band was super obscure stuff. Uh, yeah, actually, and this is something I guess you wouldn't have found on the internet. Uh, my first band was called the Vaz Deference. Cool. Which is um, I don't know if any of you are familiar with biology, but it's the part of the male genitalia that carries the semen from the testicles to the i think you know it's that area what was that yes, of course uh the vas deferens <laughs> oh, okay d-e-f-e-r-n-s i think how old um, were you when you chose this name i i didn't choose it it was the uh <laughs> it was the guitar player and actually it was called uh, the bass player called me last night he is uh another he's my dad's bass player's son so that's the reason why i was in that first band i had just joined high school st benny's as i had mentioned before st benedict's in cambridge and they went there um, I just joined, but I'd known Dave for a while, and he was like, hey, I got this band thing, and the drummer left. It's always the same story. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> I come out and jam, and I was 13 years old, and it was like punk beats, and I was like, and the first thing, so this is actually pretty important for me, at least, is that Joe, the guitar player, the guy that named it, he was just in health class. He was like, oh, that would be a great band name. <laughs> later, on, <laughs> later on, we actually, we changed it. My dad kept asking us to change it. He was like, well, oh, if you want to be professional, hilarious. like you want to get taken seriously. <laughs> We didn't care. We're kids. Um, yeah. And then we changed it to uh, Mad Transit, and that's we actually have shirts and stuff like that. We do, I think we released like a EP thing like that, or no, a full length album like that. 
But the first thing Joe said I to me, I feel like I stumbled across that. Transit, that. yeah, that sounds that's so familiar. Yeah. I think that's on MySpace or something like that. Still, okay, Reverb okay. Nation or one of those things. Reverb Pure Volume. Yeah, Pure Volume <laughs> actually is maybe the most likely if that site still exists. Which oh, it does. I, okay. Oh yeah. I just gonna. This doesn't no, look I don't right, think Devin. that's that. Oh, that's totally. Yo, there's you, Nathan, right there. <laughs> yeah, that's. Oh, Damn, I mean, dude. I'm sure there's another band called that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, anyway, I remember the the first thing that Joe said to me in the first jam that we ever had. Um, I, you know, I played some punk beats and he was like, all right, listen, I'm going to tell you basically just one thing and that's it. However hard you're playing, play harder than that. And however loud you're playing or uh, fa- did you say loud, at least hitting harder. It was always about hitting harder. However hard you're hitting, hit harder than that. And that was that like that was the rule basically in that band. And, you know, that that's not necessarily the best advice like. From if a teacher, like a drum teacher, gave you that, that would be terrible advice from a drum teacher. Right. But yeah. from someone that expected a certain level or a certain sound from the drums, explained that to me. He explained. He just basically said that that that's what I'm looking for from you. That carved everything for me because I was like, all right, I got to oh. slam these things. So I learned how to hit a rim shot every time without missing it and without like struggling to to you know like without hitting the rim by itself or any of that stuff. And that was a big focus uh, for me early on. And I remember I ripped open the skin of my finger at a, at a show, you know, a couple years later. And uh, we had a couple songs left or something. And I was like, I can't play anymore. I'm like, I yelled at him. I was like, I that's it. Boo-boo. We're done. Like, this is, and it was like the most painful thing. And I've, I've experienced it a couple of times since, but I've got things to put on it. Um, but back then it was nothing. And it was it, like 10 layers of skin or something off. Jesus. And the stick is just, fun, right? I'm hitting as hard as I can. That's what I've always done at that point. And I'm like, I can't play anymore. He looks back at me and goes, this is fucking punk rock, man. And he goes, all right, <laughs> we got four more songs left. And so we added more songs to the set list. And wow. we played, yeah, wow. yeah, oh, man. He's like, he's, like, he's like, get some duct tape. So I duct taped it, played the rest of the show. And that was just one of those things that, Sort of again from drum teacher that would be terrible advice because you want to obviously learn how to relax and have better technique and more control over what you're doing. But it was the perspective of the listener he was getting across, saying sure. this is what we need, this is what we expect from the drummer in these in this music style. I feel like not only that, but for a young musician to go past a threshold of power that they're comfortable with, you're gonna start to learn a lot of things about not only like different play styles and how your kit's functioning, but your own body, right? Yeah. Well, it feels totally different to pl- like if you play one groove like this, and then you play the same groove but hitting like like three or four times harder as far as velocity is concerned. It doesn't feel like the same thing. It doesn't. Yeah, for sure. And that and that's why you I think spending so much time on all that stuff early on was so important for me, but it also hindered me in so many ways because I could never play anything quietly. Right. It was terrible playing quiet. In fact, my dad, that was my dad's biggest complaint. He's like, why don't, why, like, what's stopping you from playing quiet, basically? It was just sort of challenging me in that sense. And he was totally right. I just never been in a scenario where that w- was the right thing for the music. So I was okay. only, I was only in bands that where it was like, hey, to start again. And I was doing that as best as I could. And I think I did a decent job for that age doing what I was doing because it was, yeah, as your hands are ripping open. Yeah. You're clearly doing exactly. I'm right. doing the right thing, you know, <laughs> you getting calluses and blisters. Um, but then I started playing with a cover band. This is, I guess, we're maybe jumping into the future, but uh, post or around the time that I joined Aura, started playing with a cover band. Tiny little bars and clubs and, uh, and places like that, you don't, you don't get to play drums drums mm-hmm. yeah. you but you still have to get 
the listener and the, the person on the dance floor still wants to feel like it's a rock song right or still get some movement in there so you still have to understand the importance of dynamics and and feel and just all these things but you don't get to hit hard so it was very limiting in that sense but it taught me oh man it taught me so much because i i really learned what i was trying to get across in a completely different dynamic setting, which just opened the door up to everything, and thus auras became a perfect playing ground for all that material, sure. all that, all those tools that I had come across and built. I yeah, guess, that's you know? really cool. And um, discovered, I guess. I was listening to Josh talk about some of the work you guys have been doing for the new record, mm-hmm. and clearly you get to continue in that playing ground. Like he yeah. made it sound like the sound is changing quite drastically like a lot more softer uh, sections more breathable uh, more cleans, lots of synth maybe? work more cleans. yeah yeah there there's tons of cleans uh jo- and that i will say this about that's the one thing i think i don't know if people uh, okay so i mentioned the whole curveball with me being a pop punk drummer before getting into the metal and people were like what what's going on that's crazy and that was that was just a, just a surprise we wanted to kind of like just take advantage of as best we could, which wasn't really too much. Um, and and now we're in the position where people don't realize that Josh is a, I mean, I'm in his band, but Josh is a re- fucking really good singer. Like, he's got a crazy set of pipes. He just needed the technique behind the breathing, control of his, of his voice, and mm-hmm. like some, I don't really know, he could probably go into detail more about it, but he, he's, he basically just decided, okay, well, I've got the tools. I just need to learn how to use them. And so he got started getting lessons from our good friend Mike Semesky, who actually Ooh. used to be in intervals, um, funny enough. And Mike taught him, you know, some some of the, the major things that he would just have to focus on. And he just practiced and practiced for probably a year. And then there was no set plan to have more singing or anything. But it was like we had these demos. We have a lot more sort of emotion and, and melody going on. I don't think we've done anything less rhythmically. I don't think you're... If you counted the notes on Helio Spectrum, and you ca- if you're getting nerdy and you want you count the notes on both albums, you'll probably get the same note count. Right. You might even get more this time. Okay. I don't know, um, but there's like like he I guess he stated uh, there's there's a lot more open air, or just a, a, an additional melody. Right. And, you right. know, if we've a always more used atmosphere. Yeah, we and we've always used the guitar or like a simple lead to sort of sort of prevent that present that melody. Um, but so many things just called for clean vocals. So, sure. you know, we, we just thought, why not? <laughs> yeah. I heard he, he ran into kind of an interesting situation too, where, uh, during tracking, he was starting to lose his voice. Mm-hmm. Actually, I just <laughs> got there. Wasn't, the wasn't able to add to more like deep to screams, screams to it. Yeah. So he couldn't do any screams. Yeah, they, they kind of had to go. All I right, remember well, that the cleans are gonna have to fly. I remember that dress. Or, uh, I remember that like vividly because that was the day that I was starting to set up and start tracking drums. He was there before I was there. Eric was the last one to come in, um, and we all just kind of took turns because it was Ottawa and we just went up by our, by ourselves. Aaron was the only constant there that was there the whole time because he's basically the overseer of of how the music ends up coming out. Um, and yeah, Josh was like, yeah, I just gotta finish some harmonies, whatever, and then you can you can go in and get set up and do all that stuff. And then I was outside just hanging. It was a beautiful day. It was June. I was like, I think I was on the phone and then he knocks on the thing and he was like, all right, you're up. And I was like, you finish all your screams in 10 minutes. Like, that's not possible. He's like, Oh, I couldn't do it. Like, no, what do you mean? Like, oh, but shit. they're uh, like, they're perfect for the right spots. And I'm just, in my head, I'm like, Oh my God, oh my right, God. Right. And then he's like, no, no, don't worry. Eric's going to do it. It's fine. And then Eric did it. And I was like, 
Oh yeah, it's probably better that Eric did it because it's a little bit more like controlled and and centered that way. I mean, it, I think it would have worked fine either way. But what I originally thought was a detriment, I was like, no, your voice. He got all the singing done, <laughs> and that's honestly all that really matters because that's the that's the only thing he's gonna. I think he mentioned this too that he's not gonna want to scream live anyway if he's gonna right. sing this much yeah. and play guitar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And nine, so no, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about this, but nine of the ten songs have like a chorus. Or the same chorus twice on okay. it. Like, okay. like there's there's stuff going on that we haven't really explored too much with the past. So cool. he's got a lot more to do. And why kill the guy? You know, like he's yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. think he he, he was specifically saying so like the uh, with a, a lot of previous material, it was kind of like you're just doing a part and then the next part and then the next part yeah. and then the next part where this has like a little bit more refrain and repetition to it, which lends itself a little bit more to it being digestible i suppose that's exactly what we i think ultimately realized like that's sort of where we picked the the 10 songs we picked i mean i guess we could have gone outside there was a couple songs we didn't use on the record but yeah, that would have been I maybe Josh more said you guys were up at like 14 i songs can't remember what it was narrowed it down but there were there were some more digestible things that were like this isn't us though right. necessarily you had to find like a middle ground well, yeah we didn't want to go there because right, right. we don't that because i don't know like we don't really care like we're we're really just trying to do stuff that we would want to listen to. Like sure, we'd want another definitely. band to maybe do this stuff, be, just because it's it's doable. And you know, with the world of MIDI drums and writing capabilities, you can really dive in before you actually have to go about learning the parts. Like right. at least for me, it, it makes the exploration of of creativity so much more yeah. enjoyable because you can just you can really and and Josh like he'll with his initial demos and stuff, he'll have drum ideas. And I'm like, why the hell would he put a snare there? That's the weirdest spot. And then I hear it like 50 times and you're like, okay, I need to keep that snare. That's perfect. Yeah. For some reason, <laughs> yeah. it just makes sense. If I take it out, it doesn't work. And maybe that's just a condition of listening to things over and over again. And I'm sure you guys get through this all the time where it's like, you know, is this too weird or is this not weird enough? And, and I think we spent too much time worrying about that stuff before. Whereas now it's more about, like the whole like what the whole song feels like when you're done listening to it like and the fact that hopefully you listen to the whole thing right because i i mean i there's lots of music where i don't really listen to tons of music much these days either but there's uh there's most of the time i just kind of get into a certain part and if i'm like all right i've heard this part a second time i'll just move on to something else unless there's funny that you mentioned that that there's been a couple people specifically just like this year and last year that I've heard taking like some of their favorite songs and then like chunking out parts that they felt like they didn't need to listen to a second time, but there was parts that they enjoyed a lot and like making their own like custom remixed mixtapes of like albums and stuff. Uh, I've never heard of this. Yeah. Ethan yeah. Name from, like, names. Ethan from H3 does this with his music. Like oh Jesus. Yeah, and uh, this other YouTuber with his Doki. own music. Uh, not not his own music, oh, okay. but like music that he enjoys listening right. to. So he'll he'll be like, strange. yeah, it's so bizarre. He, I mean, I I kind of I part see of me gets get it, but I mean, but yeah. like another part of me is but just imagine. like that that's like a crazy like nth degree. Yeah, it's funny though because I, I part of me and this just goes back to my my dear old father. Part of me wanted to put together a version of the Aura's record with all the screaming cut out. <laughs> Or like an instrumental version, at least I, I gave him that for sure. But I wanted him to enjoy the the, the vocals, right. at least the clean vocals. So like you know, just it, it was at least a thought that passed my mind. I was like, it'd be funny if I went through and like you that know, would be really interesting to hear. Too. Eric, unfortunately, <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know. But it's that's not something that's 
the know, whole parts like of the song yeah. is just so bizarre like imagine yeah, going to somebody's house and they're like hey man really big fan of your guys' music like i really like that one song um but uh, I kind of made my own version of it. I, yeah. I kind of cut out that one part. Bridge. And you're like, and you're like that's that my favorite one, part. That's the part where I do the most stuff. Right? And you're yeah. Like, that and that's you know what? That's a great point. That we, I think, I mean, I think most of us as musicians think about this stuff, but um, or get kind of lost in this and don't think about it. I guess. But there's a lot of a lot of parts where I'm like, this is a wicked part, and the guys are like, that's a terrible part, uh, and vice versa. <laughs> it happens, and I'm like, why are we having this? discord but at the same time when you look at the situations like each specific situation it's almost always because i'm playing something that doesn't necessarily have to sound cool but is fun for me to play and for them it's like you know it's it's easier enough or whatever it's not like a really really hard riff or i don't know there's just there's little levels of things that you're really personal about musically and you you forget to step back and go is this right for the song right and that's the thing i think we spent the most time this time doing like going okay hold on like I know we think it's cool, but is it actually cool, or is it actually yeah. does it actually work? <laughs> and 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 taking time between uh, editing sessions or writing sessions and stuff like that, and and going to Michigan, we went to Michigan this time to work with uh, Nick Sampson on some pre-pro yeah, a little bit, which Nick was Sampson. That was a huge that was responsible a, for things like Born of Osiris oh, era. Era, uh, mice and men. He's um, he did the uh, the last Miss May I record. Polyphia, I believe. Oh, All yeah, the tons classics. of Polyphia stuff. I am Abomination is actually how I got in, like I got into him because of his band. Right, cool. In two thousand and eight, there when that when Jaw Dropper came out, and uh, I actually met him last year at Nam for the first time. I don't. I think he was with Joey Sturgis and a couple other people, and uh, we had a little chat. We got. I can't think. We got like hot dogs or something like that. And <laughs> I was just like, and I was just like, man, like, you know, maybe I'll see you cause he's in, he's in Michigan. And I'm like, you know, I'm only a couple hours from you. So maybe I'll see you at some time, some point in the future. And then the conversations came up. We were in the middle of writing with the aura stuff. This is three or four months later, sorry, two months later, not even that long. And Carl, our, our, our rep at, at E1, he's, he's been amazing for us. He's been like helping manage us at this point. Cause we don't have management right now. Um, he's like, you know, I think you guys should maybe, go in and just work on just pre-pro with someone and and pre-pro for lots of bands like rock bands and stuff is you got demos and you go in and you record every song from start to finish on like uh, you know live off the floor or even in pieces or whatever but just roughly you can't do that with us that would take weeks and that's just a waste of time we're not going to redo all this stuff so we go in with all of our pre-pro that's already done i i have everything stem separated um things are sectioned out so we can cut things out and rework parts and whatever we only had one song that we were like, don't really know arrangement of this. I don't really know how it should go. Um, but everything else, we were pretty set in. And we got there, and, you know, he had ideas for a couple things. And there's a lot of parts where he was like, I don't think that this needs anything. And often those were parts that we had already stepped back and been like, okay, you we feel confident. Did that kind of work on yeah, already? so it was a bit of, but we there was, but there were part, lots of parts where we were like, okay, now we just don't know. We got lost in our own, in our own thoughts. Like I like the drum part or whatever the case is. And Nick was just the one that was objectively listening to it for the first time as a listener, going, you know, that's distracting or that's empty or any of those things. And uh, two songs we didn't have clean vocals for. He was like, yeah, here's a. Like we basically went through ideas together all in the room, and he was on a MIDI keyboard, and we were just like, uh, "Let's maybe move that one. Oh, maybe not that one. Okay. Yeah. All right, maybe here. Uh, all right, now that one. Josh, try to sing that. Oh, uh, maybe we should go to that one. So all as a group, trial and erroring things because we, we you know, care so intensely about 
all the little tiny details, but we forget about the big picture stuff. Right, and that's right. where he could really focus in on. That's really cool. So, um, about how long have you guys been working on this new material? Like it's, it's been like three years since the last record. Uh, yeah. September, 2016, Helo Spectrum came out. I think, I think that's right. Yeah. That sounds um, right to me. so yeah, actually, well, we started, so the, uh, in the fall, um, I was, is that right? Am I thinking of the right thing? Yes. Yeah, the fall of, of 2017, I was in Europe with Intervals, um, and Josh sent over two or three rough demos of like two minutes or something like that, and I think all, the, all three of those made it on in some way, shape, or form. Those became songs. Um, and then sometime after that, we had the, the run in North America with uh, Jason Richardson and and Nick Johnson, and I think in that one he had sent me one or two, and then I came home after that, and Josh just came over, and we just started kind of pushing stuff out. Like he had all these different uh, demo ideas, and uh, um, yeah, the one thing he was focusing on was basically just working on synth sounds and just trying to be creative in that sense, just for himself, and then cool. kind of using that to, I guess, spark creativity or whatever he meant to do or Expand didn't mean to do. It still bit. worked. Yeah, like whatever. Whatever path he took, I'm took. I'm glad he took it because he could sort of just push stuff aside, not worry about it, and then he and I could sit there and and start arranging things, and you know we we're all kind of in the conversation at that point, and that was that didn't really start until probably March, middle of March, and by the end of April, we were like, I think we were, I think middle early May we went to Michigan. Cool. So, we, which Pretty is like a rec- that's it was a yeah. record fast. Like insanely record. I mean, it obviously helps that there are large chunks of ideas that Josh has kind of gotten this bit of a back catalog that he's been sort of putting together in the, for the past few months. But even when that start from when that started to when we had the record masters in our hands, it's fastest we've ever done it. Um, and it's the most effective way we've ever done it. I think. Yeah. We've, we've talked on here before about uh, kind of getting things done in that, that quick time time span yeah giving yourself kind of, a, a like a timeline yeah or, you, or like a deadline you, we feel like if you if you let it dr- well I, I won't speak for these two but i feel like if you, <laughs> if you let it if you let the process drag on too long there's going to be material that you were working on in the beginning that you might not even like anymore or it yep. sounds dated to your ears like six seven eight nine blah 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 etc months down the road right mm-hmm. I, I feel like if, if you can and I'm not saying you have to make a record like this. Like you make a record any way you want. Exactly. But I've I've listened to a lot of records the past few years that have been d- like started and finished within a several month period, like a f- fairly short sp- span of time, and they're like so concise and like kick ass. But are they yeah. using actual instruments or are they just sampling stuff? Both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, uh, so uh, you guys like Big Rec. Like yeah. Ian Thornley, I mean, he's the man. Um, I just saw, I think yesterday or something, a video came out and his new song, their new song, uh, Locomotive. Okay. If you haven't heard it yet, listen to the new Big Rex single. Holy shit, it is so good. He just nails it every time. Um, and he, so he was, it was just like a minute video on YouTube. It's like some of it behind the scenes or, or writing it or whatever. And he said something like they had, he said 240 or 320 songs. Like, Holy yeah. shit! Yeah, dude. Just, like for that's real. Fucking crazy. Like or or idea, at least ideas and and yeah. whatever. Probably but sound still clips. Three, 
In the hundreds, like yeah. literal hundreds. It wasn't a hundred and something. It was two hundred and something or three hundred and something, maybe four hundred and something. Wild. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it, and it, but it just kind of made me just like, that would take us our whole lives plus more than that. <laughs> like, it would take so long to get all that stuff sorted out. And that's one of the other things uh, behind the way you kind of have to go about things with progressive metal and stuff like that. You kind of just have to commit at a certain point yeah like yeah. you you just have to because what are you gonna do write like i said toil like away 100 forever. songs or 50 songs and, it. yeah. it's, it's too easy to overthink it because you're putting so much into such little amount of time that yep. you can just you know get away with like a little section rather than like you know it's easy to get lost in the part and yeah from yeah, the yeah song. you sit there and mess around you know, with two bars you start writing over and over yeah and you over. just start writing for the part and not the song yeah, i guess yeah. if that makes well sense. and that and you got to remember that people like kim mitchell for example didn't want to have patio lanterns on the album and they were like you gotta do it i can't remember where the con- the convincing ended up happening he was like Fuck, fine whatever but on the record Number one single he's ever had. Did he, did he tell you that personally there. when you were? Uh, yeah. No, actually, no. But there was a funny thing where someone drove by in a car and they were playing Go for Soda, but you could barely hear it. And he was like, I think that's the Soda Bell. Ding, ding, ding. And it was. <laughs> like so the guy cool. gets closer and we're <laughs> like, so he knows the frequency of that, that's of the ride crazy. symbol that Paul DeLong used. I think that's it's Paul That's crazy. DeLong. Yeah, so how um, was that whole. Thing how did that even happen? That, yeah, sorry like, for segueing into my own, but I, no, I was perfect. That's a, that's right, a, right uh, that's a specific, but that's a specific example where of I just want to touch on that last point yeah, of sure. why you just don't want to you don't want to shy away from the stuff that like that's too different or whatever because you know having a little bit of that variety I think can sometimes just make it can turn a somewhat monotonous sounding record or or book or whatever like whatever type of entertainment like a movie if you think of it that way like you can if it's kind of monotonous and and sort of predictable in a lot of ways but then there is something that you never really saw coming then that's a memorable thing and you're going to remember that movie for that moment or the album so i just think a lot of people end up dismissing a lot of those things and those songs like patio lanterns and all that but yeah that experience um was was really good for me because it was obviously a huge resume piece but yeah. it was also no my kidding. dad got me my dad i grew up on on max webster my dad it's huge into that because that's kind of his prog rock thing it was yes he took me to see a yes show when i was 11 right before i got that first kid i ever had and i was like bam like this is totally it um and yeah the 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 max webster thing i i we had a hockey compilation album that we all get to pick one song on my friends is it 2001 or 2000 all my friends picked limp biscuit um, you know, Linkin Park, all this different stuff that was like a Kid Rock, a couple songs, and I picked Check by Max Webster. Not even a single they had, like just the first song on the record. <laughs> I loved it. I'd always rock out to it. And yeah, that was stuff I played on the drums and stuff as a kid. So that when I, I had met his drummer at the time. Um, wait, wait, wait. What did the stuff. other kids think of your pick? Yeah. Um, Oh, oh yeah. Oh, they didn't know. There was a couple. <laughs> were they just like what, there, or were they was, like? There was one school? Tom Cochran song, like the hockey song. There was a hockey one, uh, Big League, I think it was. And um, uh, there was a couple old ones, like it's Tom and Tom Connors. Okay, so you, were, my, you weren't completely. I mean, like mine was the field. most out there, but I, I was a music guy. Right. Like so, I would never. I never. I don't know. In the, in the oh, hockey that's just room, Nathan's song. Well, <laughs> in the in the dressing room, I would always talk to the other musicians, like the other people that were like. Uh, remember that band, Kingdoms. Mm-hmm. Chuck Brooker, mm-hmm. Chuck Brooker, and I, the guitar player who wrote, I think most of the, the songs. I think he's the primary writer for a lot of. I could be wrong. I love all those guys to death. Chuck and I played hockey together when we were like ten or eleven, and we just talked about music and stuff. Maybe even younger than that. Um, and uh, there's another guy. Uh, geez, I can't remember everyone, but 
there's a couple guys that I played hockey with and like way back in the day and seen at shows, played shows with all kinds of stuff. So that was kind of my my crew a little bit more back then. I would spend a little bit more right, situation right. on that. That was just such a nerd in that sense. But yeah, that was a uh, yeah, cool, just a thing, you know. So we're coming up on an hour. We usually do a little break here. Oh, right on. You guys want to jump back into the Kim Mitchell as soon as we're back? Absolutely. Yep. Sure, yeah. Cool. Be right back. Hey. Thanks, Devin. <laughs> I mean, uh, Biff Wellington. Well, you learn a lot. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> informational. Did you enjoy the segment? I uh, That f- fruit fly one was real good. Yeah. <laughs> Informative. Yeah. yeah. Educational. Yeah. All right. Real guys... meeting of the minds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if that's what you want to call it. Um, do you guys want to pick up where we left off? Yeah, Kim, Kim Mitchell. Mitchell. Kim Mitchell. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So I guess I I should mention how that whole yeah. So that whole thing came about um, because I had, I actually um, okay. Sorry, these memories are coming back because it all kind of is like I'm sort of the poster boy for why you should meet as many people as you can and just like get to know people because everything in my life seems to be like multi-stemmed in in many in many ways and this is one of those examples where uh uh the the current uh rhythm guitar player for intervals uh sam jacobs he is from winnipeg and um this is like before this is so this is going to be 2013 or something he uh knows the drummer of kim mitchell because his dad who's a bass player ridiculous bass player played for uh uh streetheart can you can he um uh-oh. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> I, my brain wanted me to say Kenny Rogers, and that would have been terrible. Um, so anyway, so Sam's dad used to play with Suds back in the day, Chris Sutherland, um, who was playing for Kim. And, and he, Chris was putting together this like online. He was just uh, kind of preliming this online drum lesson website thing that was going to be sort of like Drumio, and there's other things like that. Um, and actually he just got super busy with it. So it never ended up, never ended up kind of coming to fruition, but I ended up meeting up with him a few times in Mississauga just to be like his kind of prog metal guy on the, on the channel. Cause he had got this doing rock stuff, a couple other guys, Andrew, Andrew McKinney, um, who was playing for structures at the time. He was another guy that was coming around and doing some lessons as well. So it was just kind of a community of drummers. And, um, Chris is a really, really great guy. We, got along really well right off the bat and um fast forward to probably is i guess march or april in 2014 Oris is in the studio we're at sundown in guelph uh recording jordan, with jordan. We're, we're yeah we're working on crestfallen actually and i just get a phone call and i'm like this other one i'm like oh cool so i go outside take the call and he was like i got a crazy proposition like do you think you'd want to play some shows with kim mitchell and i was like I don't even know what to say. Like, of course, like, I, I, do you think I can? Like, <laughs> that was really my first question. I'm like, do you think I can cut it? Like, and also, don't you have a, like, don't, doesn't he have countless other guys that are in the industry that he knows and whatever? Um, I feel like I'm a crapshoot. Like, he doesn't know me. It seems weird. But it basically, it was because Chris was working with some musical theater stuff and he was, uh, to be able to, to sort of get that contract sorted out he needed to be able to sub out some of these gigs and it was just four gigs i think throughout part of that summer oh sorry he wasn't doing musical theater stuff he was on tour with a band called the road hammers a country band um and so yeah he was doing that and uh it was just gonna fill up most of his year and kim plays maybe 15 maybe 20 gigs a year maybe less nowadays but it's not super super busy so 
it's hard to commit full time to something like that for some people if they want to do multiple things. And Chris is doing tons of stuff all the time. So yeah, I um, I got that call and I basically he sent me a list and he sent me some videos of some of live versions that they were playing and um a couple weeks later i met up with him at at the place we were doing the drum hang thing the drum teaching thing kim showed up brought an amp uh and his guitar there was an amp there brought his guitar um we played like two songs of the 18 and he was like all right cool we'll see you in a couple weeks (laughs) so and i was like i thought i was gonna like full (laughs) rehearsal or something like that um yeah and i the first show was in uh oromocto new brunswick interesting it really rolls off the tongue yeah or mocto it was a it was a festival of some sort in june i think it was in june and actually my so my my dad's a big kim mitchell fan <laughs> and funny the funniest thing i think the, of the whole situation is that he gave me uh a couple of max webster records he's like can you get kim to sign i'm like dad no i'm working like this is my one i get one chance to like make a good impression i'm not gonna be like yo you know like wait to the fourth show or something like that or like yeah. maybe i'll have you meet him or something like that right. so um and my parents were were planning on flying out there because my my aunt and uncle actually live maybe an hour so they live in uh in new brunswick as well i can never remember if it's close to moncton or fredericton i want to say fredericton or oh, sorry moncton so anyway they're maybe an hour from Mormocto. my parents are like all right well let's go there um, and the flights got canceled or something. So they drove their asses 13 or 14, maybe 16 hours I or something. I hope your dad brought the vacuum to get yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a drive like that. So yeah, they drove all the way and, um, my aunt and uncle came out and they, they watched the show from side stage and it was just, it was so funny because Patty Lanchins was the, the final encore that we played, I think. Um, and, uh, yeah. And I, I, you know, I get the call on stage and he starts playing the thing and I start doing the beginning of the song. I look over, my mom's there. She's got her, like, cause this is like, that's a song that my, like we kind of grew up listening to at the cottage on the, you know, Labor Day weekend. And it was just, that was just a thing that my parents, that was a song my parents always talked about. We got patio lanterns because of the song. We got lanterns to put in the patio <laughs> area. Like it was just a whole thing. And I feel so like I looked it, over. Like on top of it being a surreal experience for you, your parents must've just been like nuts over well I, yeah. yeah it was probably super and my the, i think i remember my mom saying this too after she like looked at my dad and was like i can't tell like is he doing a good job like because <laughs> like you you know right like you know like i, I th- it looks like he's doing a, doing a good job but i'm not a musician so i don't know so and my dad was like it looks like he's doing fine to me and whatever <laughs> like he's playing the parts and and so that and that's what i really worried about the most in that gig was just playing the parts really as close to chris as i could because i know chris is just what they were familiar with um but everyone's on their own and everyone is their own player. And, and Kim was always uh, encouraging me to, to do my thing and, and stuff like that. But there's a couple things that I learned uh, on that gig. And I think the most important thing, uh, it, like in, in a maturity sense, and I think this stuff never comes around if you're just playing gigs with anyone in the local scene at all. Because there, even if you, even if you, you play with a player that's, that's this good, you don't, no one has the expectation of needing you to be that good too. Right, right. So, <coughs> excuse me. So Peter Fredette, um, who's the bass player and singer, he's the one that sings the high part in that song at Atlanta. And he's the one that does all the high harmonies. He's an incredible bass player. Plays the, the Moog, like, foot, uh, like sub octave keyboard, basically like a, like an organ footboard while playing bass sometimes or sometimes not, but doing that and singing like he's, he's a multi, multifaceted dude. 
And I remember he looked back, and it was probably the second gig, and he looked back in Soundcheck, and he was like, we're playing a song called Rockland. Rockland is probably, was, was my sort of most anticipated song for one reason. It is kick, snare, kick, snare, kick. There's a crash once in the beginning of the song. There's a crash like later in the song. There's no fills. It's just meat and potatoes in the pocket, just driving for it. And that's one of the hardest things to do for like five minutes straight. So um, I was excited for that song because I just love being able to do that. I don't get many chances. And that's a weird thing because it's something you dread doing when you're a kid. You're like, it's like playing the pentatonic scale up and down, (laughs) up and down, up and down. Like no one gets joy out of that. But does this come back to you like practicing and finding joy in that practice? Exactly. Oh, yeah. Wait, I get to do this for Kim Mitchell now. Well, okay. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. Well, yeah, and there and there's a song to go with it, so there's a motion to to sort of bring to the table and right, all that right. stuff. And so the thing I learned the most in that gig was the dynamic factor of it. And I understand dynamics are important, and my most of my body is paying attention to it and trying to be, um, oh, uh, just at least uh, to approach dynamics in a kind of a wholesale way where you're where you're able to sort of reach all the little, uh, the pillars in between, like the medium hits that are a little harder than the last medium hit, just all that stuff. Um, and finding where each of those levels really do the most for you in that position. So uh, I think, yeah, it was, it was we were two songs into Soundcheck and we playing, we're playing Rockland. And like I said, Meat and Potatoes Groove. So I'm just slamming. It's fucking, it feels great to play this song. Just <laughs> real simple stuff. And Peter comes back and he's like, you know, in the verse, like, chill on the snare just like a little bit and i was like oh my god i didn't even think about that because i'm just when you hear it on the record too the snare is like hyped up and compressed and it sounds all great paul i think paul DeLong's on that record too um that was the first thing the second thing was pull it back the snare just a tiny bit and i'm like what like it's but it's on like the hi-hat and he's like i know but i want i want the snare to just or sorry uh yeah just to be a touch later than the hi-hat is just ever so slightly and it's not something like you really it's something you really have to spend a lot of time just doing and focusing on in like slow motion and and speeding it up and all that stuff which is all always what I do when I learn and I get my muscle memory uh kind of focused on a certain part if it's difficult especially but that's one of those things that's so subtle that the magic doesn't come into you being aware of that and then moving it and being the right spot. The magic comes into you being the right amount of relaxed with your with your backbeat hand, the right amount of relaxed with your downbeat. With your kick. And I was like, you know, is my kick fine? He's like, no, your kick's sitting nice. Snare just feels a little rushed. And I'm like, okay. That was just a big moment for me. And now this is one of those things where when I'm playing with a cover band, I get to focus on how I'm playing and not what I'm playing. And that's just another side of um, a lot of the lessons that like most of the lessons that I teach, like a lot of the students that I teach on on the road, um, I focus a lot on separating what you're doing and how you're doing. So you can really just dive into one or the other because it's just a combination of both of those things working in tandem. What you play on the instrument and how you're playing the instrument, those are the things that you have to have a perfect vent. You don't even want a Venn diagram. You want it to just meld. Right. So that's one of those things that I'm thinking so much more about, so much about what I'm playing but it's a simple song that I have to now think about how I'm playing it. And when I'm playing with the cover band, I'm able to think about how I'm playing because I'm not playing much stuff. So having the outlet to work on how I'm playing in a simplistic drumming setting where I'm not doing very much stuff 
and then bringing it into an environment like auras where I have to put that into motion and automatically be relaxed with my backbeat or or just be you know aware of the dynamics with my quarter note or any of that stuff that obviously sounds too technical now but it's all roaming around in my mind when you're playing when I'm playing the simple stuff so that when it comes to adding tons of notes I don't have to think about how I'm playing anymore it's just a matter of putting the yeah, things in the right really spots yeah a really cool perspective to kind of take on and that 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 gig that gig taught me that like it was a really eye opening experience cuz I never thought about moving I'm seriously talking about like three milliseconds right right. like the human the ear can usually only catch like 20 milliseconds but it's the difference between the hi-hat and the snare that really i mean three was a little bit of exaggeration but you get what i mean so it it was just thoughts like that hadn't thoughts like that hadn't really like crossed my mind i guess so it kind of sounds like what you're talking about is like maybe using one hand to just play kind of a little bit like behind or ahead of the beat so like was that the first time where you were like oh shit i never in my whole drumming kind of so, upbringing, I never really touched on that. So luckily, it wasn't the first time. Um, okay. But I was a super amateur at it because the only time I'd ever experienced it was in the other extreme, where uh, like it, because I got into the roots a little bit. Um, like that was the only kind of hip hop I ever listened to because it's real drums, it's Questlove just playing a groove, not playing a crash, not playing a fill. That's the kind of the meat and potato stuff that interests me. And and uh, there's guys like Chris Dave and some other drummers out there that are ridiculously good at doing what some people call the drunk feel mm-hmm. uh drunk drunk for people that just don't know if you don't know what a drunk feel would be it's basically just like one aspect of the groove is lazy like the kick and the snare right on where they normally are but excuse me but the hi-hat is like laid every time like but almost like everything's yeah. flaming or or delayed or late and uh, and there's different ways to do that. You can push it and pull it and make it a quintuplet or or, or just a little bit late or a little early. There's all that nuance going on in a lot of those hip hop guys, and that's that's the stuff that I really want to be able to play. But it's such difficult stuff for me to to sit down and and work on in a way where I work on the the coordination stuff. I it's not the same if you just slow it all down and try to work on it. It is helpful, but it's not the same right. approach it's where it's like, like this thing your muscles are kind of just built for. Yeah, from it's not day a one, it's know? not a foolproof slow down, play the parts over and over again and you'll get the feel. It's a you need to understand what's anchored here, what's the movement part, right. like if the hi-hat is or where that's going and why that's there. Like what's the, what's the purpose of that in the song that you're playing? So a, a simple song like Rockland was it really ended up just being a subtle movement that was so much less than I would try to attempt if I was trying to play one of those hip hop things. Yeah. But the motion was there, and the and being able to to like know that I had played the extreme other end of it made it a lot easier to just touch it a little. Yeah, bit. like ease into it. Yeah. yeah, and that's the approach I take with dynamics. I work with I, I, when I'm practicing and and warming up and stuff like that. I play you know really big accents and then tiny 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 notes otherwise so that i'm playing the biggest dynamic i'm I'm widening the dynamic shelf as much as i can because if you can do that then you can sort of find anywhere yeah you give yourself headroom i guess right exactly did when you were learning uh the shape of color like songs Mm -hmm. that was travis orban and that guy's a freaking lunatic yeah but um how did you use that same approach when trying to learn his parts like you know kind of giving yourself that headroom yeah uh it, yeah in ways um the 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 funny thing about the shape color stuff was that luckily walking into it and this is the fun like when it was getting recorded i remember actually we were playing at the hard luck which I, we were talking about earlier Shout um, out to hard luck or is playing the hard luck and aaron came out aaron marshall came out 
and he was it was in the middle of Shape of Color recording, and Orban was there in the city at the time, and they were tracking drums, and he was saying how fast he was doing it, whatever. And I was like, dude, you got to get anyone else. Like, I love Orban. <laughs> Orban's the best. But, like, I'm sitting there going, you are going to ask. Like, I'm going to be the one playing this stuff. I already yeah. know I am. Um, I mean, there's a chance I'm not. But it's like we've we've talked about it in the past. And, you know, like, I'm the only kind of local person that he has a relationship with as a drummer or uh, that that plays progressive stuff. Yeah, obviously. you're like the go-to guy. I'm just uh, I'm just one of the only people that shares that interest I right. think, with, with him, which is sort of why the Auras thing works so perfectly because we're weirdly all exactly the same way in, in that capacity. Um, so he was doing that stuff, and I remember thinking, yeah, like if it was anyone in the world, it would be so much easier to make sense <laughs> of of some of the stuff he's doing. If it was anybody else, literally, <laughs> almost in the world. I'm, yeah. I'm not. Well, because he's Dexter's drummer, so it's oh, like that's the drummer you showed me yesterday. Yeah, yeah where he, he was playing all the Pete Peterson it's, stuff. It's, yeah. yeah, the Pete Peterson yeah, stuff's retarded. Crazy. It's the it's the it's the approach on the drums that's so. He comes from here. I come from here. Yeah. Like I'm single foot rock. Like I'll play Rockland yeah. all day, but I played a lot of punk rock stuff with a, a single foot only. So. My right foot is very dominant in almost every way. He's it doesn't matter what's dominant. He'll pick what's dominant yeah. at the moment. Any sight reads. And yeah, and which... that that inherently just changes the way that you approach orchestrating drums because everything else has to come from a right-handed or one-sided person's perspective and and for me it all came from feel-oriented. Like you you write parts based on your emotion at the time. Like the things that are happening you hit with them because mm-hmm. that invokes more emotion on the hard-hitting stuff. And the softer stuff, you let breathe a little bit more, things like that. Whereas, I I feel like it, with you know Aaron wrote a lot of the parts, he programs a lot of the drum stuff, and he's a great drummer too. He actually comes up, he actually wrote a few of the fills on it that were like when when I was figuring out it, he was like, oh here's the fill, like I wrote it. Like I was which like, ones? Oh that fill. Um, there's a fill in Black Box which I actually have to relearn because we're playing that on the next tour. It's the one that's like a drum fill at the end by itself. It's just oh, a. Okay, yeah. It's boom boom. It just has the thing riding off the floor, Tom. I know that made no sense. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so it, it rides like off the floor, Tom, and it has this double stroke ghost note. Whatever. It's got this this pattern, and Aaron's like, "Oh yeah, this is the pattern." And he just played it. Yeah. You, well, you didn't even have to play it. He was like, "This is how I approached it." And I was like. Oh, that makes so much sense. Oh, like that, interesting. Beautiful. Like, let me just play that, you know, 20 times and get used to it. Um, so with the Orban stuff, walking into it, Aaron said, listen, I know. Do not play this note for note. I know you're not going to. I know you're not going to want to. I don't even want you to. I want Good. you to be comfortable with it. Um, and uh, I guess uh, from my end of things, like, try not to change the song. But that's not what I'm going to do anyway because I'm listening to what the guitars are doing and all the parts that drums lock with guitars or bass or whatever. That's the stuff I'm immediately going towards anyway. Right. It's just the other stuff that's outside of it. And a lot of people tell me they don't notice it. Even drummers are like, I listen to the record all the time and I can't really tell that you're doing – I can tell you're doing some different fills, but I don't feel like anything's changing. And that's that's really the ultimate goal with it. But, yeah, a lot of it is – it's been slowing things down to like – 60% 60% time. I use this app called Capo. I used to work for the guy. He's incredibly smart and it just slows the song down and you can see it and you can set up loops and, and do all these amazing things so I can just focus on one part really slow and like I said at the beginning just feel like it's a completely different groove altogether and then it becomes so embedded in your system that you can't you can't shrug it off. That's a Matt Garska approach too. He starts slow. That guy plays for... Yeah, that guy's another... For, yeah, I think like <laughs> I think he said something like half an hour on the slowest tempo, and then he starts adding to it. Like half an hour is an Ooh. insane amount of time. Yeah. Ten minutes is an insane amount of time. 
Like, imagine doing the exact same, imagine doing the exact same groove. Like, dude, it's that's not. It's just one of those yeah. things where it takes an insane amount of patience. Yeah. And like that's where I try to find workarounds to patience. I try to make it enjoyable or in a way or like uh, I'll warm up both sets of my like hands and my feet at the same time. So I'll make something of it. But yeah, that guy's just got patience that I, that shows because he, you listen to animals as leaders that, yeah. or anything else he does like it, gem and everything he does is ridiculous. I have a record that he did like a jazz record, Louis Dumay, and it's, just a constant play for me because it's just it's just silly to listen yeah. to you know? it's one of those it's things it's really where, hard yeah. to like wrap your head around some of the yeah the tricks it's kind of like Pete Peterson it's yeah. like he sounds like he's it's really good and there's yeah. a lot of stuff there's going substance. on there's substance yeah. there's a, it's a great arrangement yeah but it's, it's like kind of silly like when you yeah. listen to it you're just yeah. kind of like oh this guy's like having a lot of fun writing this and yeah. Like, yeah and that goes back to that original state like why are, like obviously these people are enjoying what they're doing and I'm just glad like I'm not gonna s- sit there and rip on someone like Pete Peterson for writing a weird song no it was like look yeah. at Frank Zappa you know like the guy's a fucking genius yeah exactly like, you don't have to get his music to know or to like accept that he's a genius and that's the constant battle I think we face with a lot of people with just genre crossing and people not respecting country artists or not respecting metal artists or whatever. It's it, like, you guys all know we're on the same team. Right? Yeah, I think like, it all goes down to like the whole classical the versus jazz kind of yeah. thing. It's yeah. like, I think it stems just from that whole... There's always People want to pick a side, people want to do that, but yeah, I don't know. It's a competition thing. It's a human nature yeah. aspect of it. And you know, people, who's the best guitar player? You hear that stuff all the time. Neil Peart's the best drummer in the world. It's like... I, do we need to talk about any of this stuff? I don't think we need to anymore because it's like there there are so many role models and there are so many mentors that you can grasp onto. People are, are willing to share their information, you know? Like it's it's such a healthy environment. The internet's the best thing for it. Like yeah. there's a lot of negative stuff, but those people are all, have always been there. Some more some of the people are maybe more negative because they have that veil in front of them, but right. the rest of it's just YouTube like, commenters. It's the same people. You're just seeing them more often, you know? It's like I don't know. That's just, that's just my my opinion on the whole thing. Oh, so I wanted to ask you: uh, when you're in a, when you're playing in a band, you're making records. Every member kind of brings this like really unique aspect, be it guitar, vocals, mm-hmm. bass, drums. But I feel like the drums may not be the most standout, unique aspect that a lot of people latch on to right away in certain genres oh yeah. you mean ge- yeah like the average listener yeah, yeah absolutely um like what kind of flourishes and stuff do you like to put into the music to kind of like grab somebody who who is this something that you ever think about no um and i'll tell you why because i'm not i'm not like i'm not there to be showcased like and it sounds like cliche and whatever but it's it like it really even when I was younger this is one of those things like hand in hand with learning that it was going to be impossible to be a working musician um I also uh like I also learned that you know it's 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 so much more about the song than it is about each person and and like yeah while there may be some parts where I'll take the advantage of the fact that I have a uh a section to write a drum feel that nothing else is intruding in or, or whatever. Um, nothing else is stepping over. I still want to make sure that, that it, it's the thing that you want to hear at that moment, sure. you know? So like, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff um, that it's, and it's kind of ironic because I like to listen to music that sort of surprises me in that way. But, uh, and I'll offer surprises in that sense, but that's not really me doing that as a drummer. 
that's right, us like, applying the drums. Out to be like, okay, this this is the moment where I'm going to show off. Yeah, yeah, it's us applying the drums in in that section or that area of, to to apply that factor, to sure. apply that wow factor, or whatever whatever the case may be. Um, but yeah, there's there's definitely there's definitely like some moments where it feels like that's the case, um, and it maybe was initially that way, and maybe it's, we're just too far, we just don't realize that it is a little bit arrogant of a part or whatever. Sure, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you you get that feedback at one point or another usually from from other band members or whatever. If it's if it's stepping on what they're doing, then that's not. Sure. What's, but you do want to keep the listener engaged. So maybe right. that's the, your excuse. You yeah, know, I was they, just I was kind of in, interested because when uh, when you listen to like auras, like it's such a tight unit sound, right? Like it's it's like this all encompassing thing, and it it never seems like anybody is kind of like stepping on each other's toes or anything. So clearly, that's exactly what's going. Yeah, on. Yeah, I th- I think that's and that's just part of the the. Uh, I think it's part of the fact that we're we're all doing it together. Like some bands will be one person. Um, like for example, Aaron Marshall writes all the interval songs, um, and obviously, I think he's a good example. And again, biases because I'm in the the bands, but there's a lot of guitar players that will write, like you know, backing tracks so that they can write guitar on it. And I find that that's not the way that Aaron approaches it, which is probably why I like playing the music so much, is because they're just great. If you take all the lead guitar away. Got great songs to yeah. listen to. Still bangers. Yeah, and I actually do it at home all the time. I drop all the stems in a session and just mute him. Um, and usually when I'm learning stuff, I do. <laughs> Sorry, Aaron. I, I do it just to not distract myself in in that way. Because because uh, sometimes my initial uh like my initial like reaction is to play on some of his notes too. Um, because you know as a drummer you listen to the bass player and you latch onto that stuff. And with auras, it's the rhythm guitar as well. So there's just more and more things that I find myself having to accentuate rhythmically right um but that's not really the case in in some stuff whereas whereas like there's old songs um like before shape of color like the matahari stuff or uh, mm-hmm. sorry the the uh the in time stuff we play matahari there's a he plays a solo near the end and he does this, this like triplet which instead of like the drums just oh, yeah. da 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 just playing like quarter notes or eighth notes um, when I first filled in for intervals back in 2012, um, I just had the inclination to link, uh, to latch onto his his lead part at that moment and play da 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 like a little triplet in that point, and I still use it to this day, and it still gives me joy every time because it's still one of those things that if I was there on that day, maybe I would have thought to put that in, but now I I never I'll never know, but I never want to know because I gained so much from what was already there to begin with. That of course my brain's gonna go and add stuff, but when that song was a blank slate, like I can't imagine, you know, like every every decision to add or subtract something is a musical decision that you right, have to right. make, right? So it's cool. And I love the hell out of Anoop, and he's like such an insanely good player <laughs> yeah. that like it it's it's a great challenge because he is he plays more like a human like me, um, but he plays usually <laughs> faster and harder and crazier shit than I can play. Mm-hmm. So it's always like keeping me on my toes to play any of the older stuff and then there's the Orban stuff where it's like you can do it yourself but you still have to pretty much yeah, play a lot of this the stuff lines, basically yeah that's why the last record I was like thank god I get to go to just do it <laughs> myself like get to get to decide if something with Aaron but if something makes or doesn't make the record or whatever but at least at that point I now have this muscle memory embedded pretty much exactly the way that it's supposed cool. to be sure so I'm not fighting 
to recreate fills or changing fills so that I'm more comfortable, you know? It's a battle. So, um, how did how did the whole intervals journey begin? Mm. Well, uh, the first door that I filled in for was because Anoop was uh, playing for this guy, Jeff Loomis, who played for Nevermore and stuff. He, I think he was in Europe with him at the time. And actually, this whole thing just came full circle recently because we just finished that tour with The Contortionist. And and we're about to go out on tour with Vale of Maya. Well, this is hilarious. So in 2012, there was a tour that was supposed to happen, Vale of Maya, Contortionist, and Your Memorial. And Intervals was asked to play the Toronto show. And Anoop was gone, so Aaron was like, okay, so I have this thing, like we have this show, do you want to play this one show maybe? And then the next day he called me and was like, Vale of Maya just dropped the tour because they just got a tour with um, Devil Wears Prada and August Burns Red in Europe. It was like a huge tour for them. And at the time, too, 2012, like, still Devil Wears Prada's peak yep. and everything was going great. So really smart on their part, like, tough to always – it's always tough to, like, turn down tours and whatever. But it was, like, six dates or something like that and – or eight dates or something like that. So we got – we basically convinced the promoters to – and contortionists to shift up, be the headliner, have your memorial, and then bring intervals on for all the shows. Aaron and, and his manager, Brett, at the time – devised this whole plan and figured out how to convince people to do it and they said yes and then he called me back and was like never mind it's six shows you got time <laughs> i was like okay cool it was like october or something end of october 2012 right when they were releasing in time we actually released it that weekend um day before halloween or something like that and so yeah that happened and then you know i get, went back out with auras on tours and did a couple records and um, you know that he he obviously knows that's my my band. So there's uh, and we play shows together. We were playing shows together back in the day too when they did uh, a couple release release shows and things like that. So um, and then then the sort of departure of every other member other than Aaron, like when they sort of uh, parted ways and and he just kind of decided to do it on his own. Um, I remember there was a day he and I went down to go see the Contortionist in London. And he had just finished making the record. So this is after the hard luck day when I was like, why are you getting Orban to play drums on it and stuff? And he was like, yeah, so I'm going to put the record out a couple months. Probably not going to tour on it. I'm just going to see what happens. Like, don't really know what the, the story is here. But, you know, it's like, it's like, I, it's basically, it was the riskiest thing I think he'd done just because it was such a different musical style. And that's sense too. Like he kind of took a, a pretty big turn compared to what I think people expected, especially with vocals in the last one. Anyway, you can take whatever you want out of that. But the the point is that I was like, okay, like, cool, you're going to not tour on it, and you're just going to make records, I guess, and see what you're going to do at home. That's what I got out of it. Maybe a week and a half later or something, I got a call from management. and Yeah, it was Brett, and he was, uh, he was like, yeah, we're doing, I think, five or six weeks across North America. Headline. And I was like, Headline? like yeah we're bringing plenty doing uh he's gonna come out and angel vivaldi and this this other band save us from the archon i was like okay i guess i'm doing that so i hopped on that <laughs> and then we had another tour and then we just keep doing it <laughs> keep like going. that's essentially where we're at yeah, that's cool. That's um cool. yeah and it just sort of made sense because i'm the only other guy in ontario too like the other member like jake was from new york sam is from winnipeg and when it's not sam it's uh thomas who lives in tampa bay so it's like yeah, having someone else. Yeah, he's ridiculous. Yeah, he was having someone else. Show, yeah. Having someone else just 
local in that sense to be here. And with writing and recording all that stuff, like I just went to his apartment. We just worked on the songs. Like I just programmed drums while he sat there, or vice versa. And and it, it was just so much easier than having to be in a Skype meeting and whatever, and That's like right, for sure. we're on the phone all the time. So I think I was at that show at vinyl when you guys uh played intervals played with the contortionist and you guys were in the morph suits yeah oh yeah, yeah that's right yeah, yeah i think oh, that was shit. that was probably one of the first like i think i still have off. that morph suit actually. oh really <laughs> yeah that was that would have been halloween you know it's funny about that yeah. tour too so that that was like yeah i think i said it was seven or eight shows or something like that the only day off was halloween um, but that show was on the 30th or something like that. Yeah. It I was can't like the remember. Day before or after Halloween or something like that. Might've been after. Yeah. Cause the day before we had a Halloween party or something in Toronto. Okay. Um, but the, on Halloween, my cover band had a gig, uh, a Halloween gig to play in Guelph and our show at the vinyl was that the day before the 30th must've been. So we played the interval shows on the 30th in yeah. Guelph, which was perfect. And then the next day we had off. So I just played my gig with my cover band oh, in the dope. morph suit. I put it back on. It smelled like nice. shit from like a you know a sweaty show. And um and then we had two or three more dates still left on that on that run. That's awesome. So I I got working like in the middle of it. You know it was kind of like I just gotta I gotta do it. You know I gotta I was it was perfect. Was, what morph suit was it again? Which it was like was muscles. It, it was pure like yeah. human muscles. Oh yeah, yeah. Just really weird looking. Yeah. The right. face was awful. Like it's, yeah. And I had to cut. You know, I had to cut. I feel things. like it's kind of appropriate that it smelled bad. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, oh, I actually, I think I threw it out last year because I was like, this is this is gone. just in a room. Like I rotting. might still have it though, but I. Ugh. That's hilarious. I don't even want to think about that. Yeah. R.I.P. Vinyl. Yep. Yeah. What yeah. Happened? I don't yeah, it turned into like Streetlight or something like that. It was like a club. Oh, damn. It was never oh, really. really. Well, but they got, got they got District and... Jimmy Jazz? Yeah. Jizzy Jams? Jizzy Jams? That's what I always called it. Very nice. <laughs> yeah, we used to go there after the vinyl shows and just get drunk and watch the punk bands play, you know? Like, that, was, yeah. that was a good time. Uh, the Gadorshness guys actually um, all, like, got really... Wet. I remember most... Everyone but whoever was driving, because they were sleeping... There was like six of them in there and just turned the place apart. Like Jizzy Jams went to like the the roof that night. It was and there was like some weird folk band playing and and we just like yeah, it was like some we raged in there. It was such a weird, funny That's night. That's awesome. Was that like a bonding moment or did you guys all like know each other pretty well before then? It was probably a bonding moment. Yeah. I can't remember it was so long ago. Because I felt like at that time when all those bands were like on the come up. Everyone was kind of like getting to know each other because everyone's going on these tours for the first time yeah. together now, yeah. like, you know, going with Veil of Maya and stuff like that. I mean, like, you guys probably just know each other at this well, point, or at least slightly, maybe. And I only know the Veil, the Veil guys mainly because Auras has played with them a couple times. They yeah. stayed over at the old Auras house when we when we lived together, and Mark ate all my Chipotle fucking spice, spice that I had. He was like, you got anything hot? And I was like, I got this. <laughs> <laughs> he, like, he, like, used all of it <laughs> within, like, two days or a day or something. What a yeah. madman. But yeah, that, yeah, it definitely... It, it's definitely been um, a, a long time since then, but it's funny how much ha how how many people were in that exact same position yeah. kind of at that time. But uh, we were still pretty late on the cusp. I think I'm still sort of one of the newcomers in this. Well, I mean, joining of, intervals, I or do you mean auras, like in the newcomers? Uh, well, just like in the in in sort of the the general touring public, I guess you could say. Oh, like, okay. Like like the you know if you mention someone. Um, like a, a merch guy that used to work with and someone else in the band that you're touring with also toured with. That's the circle. Oh, and okay. Of, and it, but it's weird because everyone kind of knows each other from different things. Yeah. A lot of people know for each other from Warp Tour. 
Um, you get a lot R. of RIP Warp Tour. Yeah, I hear a lot of stories about that. Have you seen the new lineup for Warp Tour? The twenty fifth anniversary like thing that they're doing this summer. I think like one show or something. like It's three shows. I think it's uh, two or three shows, but two of them are like the main lineups, and there one is in California, and like I don't York. know where the uh, yeah, and the lineup is just like insane, like Good it's just Charlotte. ridiculous. It's yeah. like every Warp Tour, like I mean, it makes sense because it's like you, you can may as well like no one, no one in that stature, no one of that stature wants to go on Warp Tour, like Warp Tour kicks your ass, like I, from what I've heard, like oh, okay. I've heard countless people just tell me. That it's just it's it's, it's a, tough. It's like it's grind. really tough. Yeah, like, I mean, like, especially if you're in a van or something. But even bands that get a, a bandwagon and stuff, like it, it really is like you're lucky you got a shower in there. But there's a lot of situations yeah. where it's just a long day. You know, you you don't really get many days off. I don't think. Yeah, I just yeah, I've just heard from a lot of people that it's just a grind. You know, but you meet everyone. Like you meet fuck tons of people that That's you never insane. thought you'd meet. Like, um, yeah, like it could be anyone really, but just. It, there's just all kinds of characters there. Kind of like going to Nam in a yeah. more clo- in a more open sense because yeah. I feel like Nam is like that just yeah. that weird it's... thing where you turn the corner and mm-hmm. you're like, whoa! It's like three <laughs> my first my uh, people I look up to. Like my first yeah. Nam experience was hilarious because I was walking out the door on the first day and Carrie King was walking in <gasps> with his son, but it was the funniest, most like kind of humble humbling moment. Uh, I'm sure he's used to it because he's a human being, but. Um, they, you know, at the door, they need your ID as well as your, you got your pass, but they also need your photo license to verify the to uh, correlate. So Carrie King, you, who doesn't know what Carrie King? Like, yeah. Yeah. The, <laughs> on his head, like, you can't miss him. Walks up to the door. They look at his thing. ID, please. And I'm just like, that's Carrie King. Like you can't, if he, if he. If the, if if someone can just impersonate Carrie King and pulls that off, like good for that. Someone's you know, like, like there in the hotel clap. with a sharpie. Just yeah, like like, <laughs> like he just walking. But down. that that was just one of those moments where I'm like, that's fucking Carrie King. But he's just a regular dude here. Like he's he's got to yeah. walk in and show his ID just like everyone else. Yeah, which is a hilarious. Like, it's it's kind of humbling in a way. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, it just shows you that like like if you're going for Im- like this sort of immortalized like rock star sort of thing like. You're probably not in the right industry. Yeah, <laughs> you maybe exactly. try to be a movie star or something like that because yeah. there's just a lot. But there, it doesn't matter anyway. I think because like there's so much, there's just a, such a human element to things that people forget that a lot of those people, like you know, just regular ass humans, they take yeah. a shit a couple times a day. Like normal stuff. Play happens. drums on the shitter. <laughs> right, right. Everyone's normal. Be into vacuums. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Into them, yeah. So uh, later in the summer. You guys get to play with Dream Theater. Yeah, yeah. in Slovenia. How wild is that? Yeah. That's crazy as hell. <laughs> I never never really my roommate actually was like, "What the fuck, man? You got to give me you got to bring me to fucking Slovenia like <laughs> I can't believe you get to play with Dream Theater. Like I've always wanted to see them." It's going on, and I don't even know if we can see them. <laughs> I'm almost positive we can't. Yeah. Cuz it's like a 7-day festival where I think we're playing on the 3rd day. So that that's the first show is just a side note, but that's the first show of that that Europe that's the second leg we're doing two legs in Europe for the, this year so we can split up the festivals the more, more important ones and um the second leg starts on the 23rd it's that festival but that festival starts on like the 21st when I first saw that thing like the poster for it I was, we didn't know what day we were and Bullifest is the 20th dad's 60th birthday gotta go 100% gotta be there looking at this poster going fuck July 20th I'm gonna maybe have to miss this tour like 
I've, I can't miss Bullfest. Nope. That's the first show, 23rd. We're leaving on the 21st. Bullfest the 20th. I'm going to be there. Hey. Oh. So it just worked out perfectly, and maybe I can thank Dream Theater personally. I don't know. Like for, <laughs> thanks for making sure we're not early on, but that's, not too that's late. A, that's and, a real well, sweet and humble way to kick off the yeah. tour. Yeah, yeah. It's just you know, good to know that I can I can see everyone and and all that stuff and sure and see my dad on the 60th birthday. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> hell yeah. Just that's a, huge. You know, I'm gonna miss. I think my I'm missing my grandma's 90th in this next run, which is just one of those things. It's like I do need to make a better effort while I'm home to to see them as often as absolutely possible. My sister's way better than me. She lives in Calgary and flies back all the time. Right, right. Um, but yeah, when I, I do end up missing out on a, you know, a few things, but they understand for sure because yeah. what else am I going to do? For right? sure. Well, it's good It's good that they're kind of on the same page with you. They can be understanding of, of your time commitments elsewhere. Yeah, and they've watched me be obsessed with this for <laughs> yeah. you know, my entire life. So. Cool. Um, so we're about to wrap up thinking about five ten minutes or so do you guys have your your uh firing round yeah we got a little firing round for you oh right on so uh ian will toss you some uh, damn water bottle little (laughs) one-liners little statements and you kind of just toss us back the first thing that comes to your mind Mm -hmm. sound good all right i think i do remember seeing this with your episode with brandon actually (laughs) nope didn't do it with him no only did it with kyle kyle wappler kyle i actually did listen to that the end of that so okay, yeah, yeah, so yeah that's why. At the end there. Did you All not right. do it? With, okay. All right. I'm tripping. Maybe maybe the whole episode with Lockwood was it's a firing round. Yeah. yeah, baby. <laughs> All right, you ready? I don't know. Well, 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 well <laughs> I'm going to do it anyways. Favorite extinct local band? Uh, Kingdoms. Drum triggers? I use them all the time for gates. Best concert? Uh, yes, in 2011. Oh, Meshuggah last year, actually, as well. Okay. In LA. Oh, my God. Sugar. Sorry, go on. <laughs> Coming to Brazil. <laughs> uh, Periphery just announced they're going to Brazil today, and I almost commented on that. Come to Brazil. Cause, I saw a yeah. comment said, Coming to Brazil intensifies. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's insane. Okay, I love that. <laughs> I um, love that. Harmony Lunch. I haven't been there yet, but uh, I've seen lots of shows. Like, I love watching Kyle, Kyle's videos of the shows there, and I have my roommate. I told my roommate to go talk to Kyle to go play some shows there. Oh, nice. So I'm going to go. I got to go see a show there at some point. Cool. Saturday? Saturday? Yeah. Is that you guys? We're, yeah, we're playing there. You guys playing? Yeah. What time? Uh, Yeah. All right. I'll probably come out. Cool. All right. Yeah. Uh, Big Music Fest. Big Music Fest. The big. Oh, in like Bramford or whatever? No, the one that was in McLennan Park with their. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, McLennan Park. I don't know why I didn't know it was there. Yeah. What? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gonna, Hold on. That's the one that's defunct or like. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a piece of shit. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. I don't know much about it. All right, no, hell um, yeah, it's a piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Worst concert. Oh God. Oh. Uh. <laughs> shit, this is tough. Um. Oh, it took me too long to think of it. I don't want to. No. No, it's okay. Yeah. Best drummer. I know we talked to uh, you Benny know. Greb. Okay. Yeah, he's on Nick Johnson's new record, which comes out uh, Friday, like nice. in, in two days. And lastly, days. worst drummer. I'm just kidding. Uh-huh. We're done. Worst concert. Uh, oh, okay, there's no. an answer. <laughs> <laughs> Meg White. All no, right. no, I'll never say that because she did play her part, I think, perfectly. <laughs> Personally. All hey, right, well, that's good. Awesome. We're, we're, we're done. That's good. That was an easy enough firing round. Yeah. It wasn't, I thought you were going to say like hot dogs or hamburgers or something because I don't, I don't, like, I don't like picking. All right. Picking out of Ketchup those or two. mustard? 
Oh, okay. Our hot dog sandwiches. Ooh, I like ketchup. Dijon, I like Dijon and grainy mustard, and and we get this German mustard we call uh, toothpaste mustard. Um, that doesn't sound good at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's in like a toothpaste thing. My mom, oh, like, my okay. mom is weird with names Comes and shit. In, like the uh, Arm and Hammer, like yellow one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of what it looks like. Yeah, it's blue and yellow. It's really <laughs> weird. <laughs> it's really weird. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I hate ketchup. I don't know. It's just like you're. I mean, don't put it on steak. That's for sure. I H told fruit. you people do it. That's yeah, I know, man. Trump does it. It's fucked up. That's sick. <laughs> I knew there was something wrong with that dude, but I didn't know yeah. it was to this oh, extent. <laughs> He's ill. That's dude. the worst of all. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> all right, boys, you want to wrap it up? Yeah. Always do, dude. You want to right. plug anything or anything like that? Biff, we're sorry. <laughs> You'll have to save your material <laughs> for next week, I suppose. Anything you guys want to say? Uh, anything you want to plug? Follow you on um, socials. New Aura's record coming out this year. Um, I'm super, super, super excited to put it out. Like I've never been this excited to put anything out in my life. I just oh. have to say that. But on it doesn't record. matter if it, if it means so much to anyone else or if anyone even likes it. I I'm just really excited to have it in the public eye at some point this year. Hopefully by the middle of the year. Or so just cool. give us some time to do it right. And uh, yeah. Okay, man. Well, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, cool. thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, yeah. remember, you has been Nathan Bula. Yes, sure has been. Remember to fist, fist, fist that, that bell. bell, fist it, fist.